I'm going to do certain things, even though I know you're not going to be able to do things in return. You're not going to ever be able to repay me for what all I'm doing by choosing your people. And so in chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, gives all these descriptions of, of uh, Jacob and Esau, the brothers that we know the story about there, where technically God was supposed to be giving His blessing, number one, always to the eldest son. But in that particular story, we know the way the story goes was that gradually it changed. And God said, you know, I'm doing something very, very special with you, Israel. Jacob and Israel, meaning that similar term there. To say, I have chosen you, even as a younger son, to be my selected, my blessed. And I'm choosing to change culture. I am changing tradition. I'm changing history. I'm adjusting it for your benefit because I know the nature of Esau and his descendants, the Edomites. I know what they're like. They're not going to be the right ones. You guys are selected. You're privileged. I had my hand on you. That's a miracle. Remember it. Cherish it. Brothers and sisters, we should cherish our worship of God. Now, how do we worship? Another question. How do we do it well? Another question. What is the format? Another question. But when we come together and we pray and we ask for His blessing and we give Him praise and thanksgiving, when we focus on Him with our lives and our service, and all that we are, with the decisions we make, with who we marry, where we live, what jobs we do. When we focus all of those things on the will of God before everything else, we are worshiping with our existence. We are worshiping with our lives. But when we don't do those things, we are not worshiping. And the call is to say the people of Israel had reached the point that somehow, even though this suzerainty covenant existed, and they understood in their head that God had selected them and that He had limited Himself to focus on them in a very special way, somehow they had begun to treat it as if their relationship with God was just ordinary, was common, was no big thing. In fact, as we know, God had prepared ways of helping the people to remember their relationship with Him. They had festivals throughout the course of the year. They had times when they had a barley festival and a harvest festival and a first fruits festival and various fruits. And those festivals were each time designed to bring back gifts to place before God, whether it be animal gift or whether it be uh, crops to place before God to say, we're giving you the best of what we got to say thank you to you and give praise to you, God, for your calling us and selecting us. God had developed this kind of a relationship with them. It sounds very, very interesting because it's obvious that the symbolism and the remembrance issues within people were the goal. That was The, the goal was to have people... When they, when they brought the gifts before God to remember, 
He is worthy. We just sang songs like this. He is worthy. I'm returning to say thank you, God. Not unlike what we do when we partake in the Lord's Supper. Not unlike a baptism. You know and I know <clears throat> when a person is baptized, the water is not magical water. That is a symbol of what God has done to cleanse us and give us a new beginning. But it's a powerful symbol. It's a symbol of remembrance of what God has done for us. When we eat the little piece of bread and drink the juice here at the Lord's Supper time, there's nothing magical occurring. But it is a time to remind us that the Lord gave all He had for us. He died on a cross for us. He was resurrected for us. So symbolism and remembrance has always been part of God's relationship with man. And in this particular Scripture, it's reminded through the various harvest festivals that they had. I guess in a sense it reminds me of something like Thanksgiving. I've always struggled with uh, the, the, the fact that Thanksgiving should always begin with God. And yet as time has gone on, I've watched more and more things in our secular society move us towards saying, well, thank you for a good harvest. We're very thankful for a good harvest, but we don't know who to thank. In fact, the intent of Thanksgiving back in history was always thankful. Thank you for the guidance and care of the being above who reached down and cared for us. <clears throat> when the Israelites came together to worship, it was not to do God a favor. God did not need their crops. He did not need their animals. He did not need any of the foods that were brought before Him. But these were ways of communicating that people were willing to give their best. I don't know if you ever feel that you have to work God and church into your schedule on a given Sunday. But some people do feel that way. These people had reached a point the people of Israel, to where worship had become a treasury. It was difficult. It was exhausting. It required effort. The only real request that God had for the people of Israel was that they gave their best, their first. Not a lot, but at least give that which was unblemished. That was the most high quality of what you've got. To say, God, you deserve everything but we're going to give you back this much and it's still the best we've got. Sometimes in your life and my life, I've met people that basically we give God our seconds. We don't give Him our first. God doesn't need our seconds. You know, I've seen people and known people that say, oh yeah, I'm planning on starting to tithe next year. I'm starting to give uh, more of my time Later on, and we delay when, in fact, we know God needs to see us give today. He wants fellowship with us today. You can't go back in history, but you can go on from today. The people of Israel 
had good and faithful days toward God, but they also had some bad days. You know, if you remember, Moses went to uh, get the Ten Commandments. Coming back, he found what? Worshiping of an idol. We look at Solomon, we think, oh, what a great man of wisdom. What do we find later on in his life? He married many, many women, and they worshipped other idols, or worshipped idols. People of Israel had seen good and bad. They had floated from being very, very strong in their commitment to God to being very, very weak in their commitment to God. The thing I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is we have the same danger in our lives. Lest any of us ever become too complacent, too secure, thinking, I'm beyond that, I will say to you, you're not. These were people who knew they were chosen, and still, they had their bad days. Last week, I had a friend come to visit, uh, two friends from Los Angeles, uh, Henry and yeah, another Henry. Everywhere I go, it seems like I run into another Henry. Uh, sorry, Henry Lou and Henry Joe and all you guys. But he, uh, Henry Pullen, a friend of mine from Los Angeles, Manor Baptist Church of Los Angeles, he and his wife, Faith A, came to visit. And we had a very good fellowship. But Faith A, on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting downstairs, shared some of her concerns about our society today and listed some of the very difficult issues that have hit society today. Dealing with things such as abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, transsexual agenda, various other things like that. And, and asking a very hard question, which is, what's the church going to do about it? Well, I'm not sure the church can automatically step in and say, now we have the answer. Or we're going to control anything. But certainly you and I, on an individual basis need to be sure we have at least asked ourselves, maybe you want to use the word theologically, but ask ourselves in our relationship with God, what is my stance? What do I believe to be right and wrong? And is it based on the Bible? We all need to go ahead and deal with those issues. Not easy issues, but we've got to deal with them. What would, good ha what would God have the church to do when we know that issues exist. Ignoring or denying such issues is not dealing with the issue. As we look today on in the Scripture, like I said, verses 1 to 5 are sort of a, a slow step in to remind the people of Israel, God cares about you. Your relationship with God is important. You are chosen, you're selected. He wants to reach into your lives and direct your life. But then in verses 6 onward, he begins to deal with Scripture a little bit more difficult, in a more difficult way. Malachi moves into some thought-provoking questions uh, that he knows will be tougher. If I am a father, where is my honor? If I am the Lord... Where is my respect? In other words, I don't want to hear any more talk. I want to know where the beef is. I know that I should deserve some kind of relationship with you. But what kind of relationship have you given me? 
I am insulted. And God goes on to say, basically challenging them, that they have despised Him. He accused the priest, this is Malachi writing, he accused the priest and the people of playing games with God. They used the terminology of Lord and Father, but their words were empty. They had cheapened the relationship with God. He was challenging the Israelites to be better than those who worshipped idols and only sought to manipulate those images for their own profit. He was saying that God is never to be mocked. He is never to be treated as something that you just handle when you want to or it's convenient. For us today, we too must be very careful not to just go through the motions of worship, service, giving our tithe or our time, talking the Jesus talk even, when our motives are impure or self-centered. Coming to church and sitting in a pew does not necessarily reflect that our heart is having fellowship with God. Have you ever gone to a worship service, sang the songs, listened to the message, and left without meeting God that day? Is that God's fault? Is that the preacher's fault? Is it the music director's fault? Or is it maybe your fault? What is our spirit? What is our heart when we come together as a family of God to worship? God doesn't beat us over the head with a stick saying, worship, worship, worship. But He gives us opportunity. He welcomes us to come before Him. If we value it. Our question is, do we value the worship of God? From the top religious leadership all the way to the average person in the book of Malachi chapter 1, it says that the people despise His name. This word implies that one is looking down upon God. To despise is to see yourself as superior. The priest should have understood their sin. That is true. But self-understanding does not always come that easily. For us, we must ask ourselves, are we okay? How are you doing? How am I doing? Folks, I want you to understand, I am not here. I'm not one that likes to beat people over the head with anything. This is the Word of God challenging you and me and the people of Israel. Saying that God deserves... Pure worship. The only concern that God has is our heart. Whether you give a lot of money or a little money, it won't impact whether or not God loves you or not. We give because our spirit says to give. The altar was a place of sacrifice and it symbolized their returning to God. They didn't uh, provide good food because uh, God was needing something. It's a sort of a kind of a story of saying, if you brought a box full of apples and you gave them to someone, and you said, here, take these apples. I know you're going to love these apples. 
And suddenly you started getting the apples and you found worms in about a third of them. Yeah, the apples looked really nice on the top, but in fact, they were factory seconds. They were from the farm and they were not the ones that really were their best. You didn't want to pay quite that much. God didn't deserve the expense of the most expensive. Sometimes we feel like other friends may be not the same. And yet, what God is saying, just give me your best. Give me your first. Prove how important I am in your life. Please. Because I want that kind of a relationship. When you give me my, your best, I will give you my best. We will have a wonderful relationship moving on into the future. There's a song that I, I love to hear, but it always has challenged me. The song says, give of your best to the master. Give of the strength of your youth. And then eventually it says, join in the battle for truth. Give of the best to the master. <laughs> give of the strength of your youth. I always found that one interesting because I kept saying to myself, in most of the Chinese churches that I've worked with in Asia, see, I can keep us safe over here because we're in Canada. In Asia, it was sort of, give of your best to the Master, give only when you get old. Wait until you've saved up and gotten yourself totally secure and comfortable. Got everything in line. Life is good. Things are going well. Then, give your extra. Whatever extra you've got to God. That is what Malachi is screaming to the people of Israel and saying. That's what you've done with God. You've given Him whatever extra you had. You gave Him the apples with the worms in it. You knew you could have gone when you were young. You knew you could have given your time when you were, had your energy and your strength. But your values had been corrupted by the world in which we live. Your values had become just like everybody else's. Brothers and sisters, you and I are a strange breed if you are a follower of Jesus. And it's okay to be strange. Now, I would say that because I am strange. The point is, for, for us as Christians... Our values are not the values of this world. And that's good. That's fine. But it's challenging. It's sometimes uncomfortable. It sometimes brings conflict. It sometimes requires we are strong and confident and willing to stand up, even at the price of criticism. All of these things Malachi understood as he challenged and said, you're bringing the wrong kind of gifts to God. Malachi knew the hearts of the people. He said, I know you'd ask where you have actually defiled God. I know that's your nature. So you're going to say, how did I do it? The fact he then pointed to was the fact that the people didn't seem to care if their gifts were their best or their worst or their freshest or their newest. Malachi shared... Offer your gifts and sacrifice to your governor. Give it a try. Try to show it to the secular society in which we live and give them just your extra givings and see what will happen. Give it a try. And yet, 
you dare to do it to God. You know the world won't accept it. If you go in and you know that you owe a certain amount of money in taxes, and you say, well, tell you what, I'm going to give you this much instead. Would that be okay? You know that our society is going to say, no, that's not okay. And yet we do it to God. Malachi says, the way that we treat God with our gifts reflects our spiritual hunger to walk with Him. God wants to give us His best. He expects the same from us. I know that for me, we've given tithes and time over the years when it wasn't convenient. Times when it would be much better to wait a few months and try to catch up on giving. But when I knew that His service uh, was so important and that His expectation was our first fruits, I had to remind myself that it was not about my comfort or my convenience that I gave my gifts. I gave because I wanted to have fellowship with my Lord. When we make decisions about our life direction, our work, how we're going to relate to people, what our future dreams are, is the will of God always the first thing we consider? Malachi pulled out all the stops when he said, close the doors for worship that was uh, inappropriate is not of value. Just close the door. I'd be happy if one person had the courage to close the doors and stop the worship because the worship is not pure. The worship's not honest. It's not real. It's playing games with God. For me, I read that and all I could think about is if God truly walked in the back door of any of our worship services, not just VCBC, but churches around the nation, how often would He walk in and say, wow, this is what I've been looking for. People who really had communication with me. Their focus is worshiping and us being together in service to Him, no matter what road it takes them on. Or how many times would the back door open and what we would find is he might very well turn around and just walk away. Verse 11, we have predictions of Gentile faith. Because here we begin to see again a description, a comparison that's going on between the two. He, the, again, the message is to people who were the chosen ones. A message was to those who God assumed would follow Him. The message, again, in that sense, would be to people like us. It's very much a message to say, if you won't follow purely, completely, serving with all you are, giving gifts that are motivated from the clarity of your pure heart, I'll find somebody else. God is saying, there are others out there. There are other people out there. This was really a frightening message to the people of Israel because, see, they were very, very self-secure. 
They thought, well, God's already selected us, chosen, everything's okay. But God is saying, yes, I have promised I will hang in there with you. I'll go through thick and thin, but there is going to be a day when I'm going to recognize that the Gentiles are more faithful than you. And I will bless them for their faithfulness. Now you have to understand, that was pretty radical for their day. Because blessing those outside of the Jewish faith was seen as very, very extreme. In chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, there is a danger mentioned that is very frightening. The danger is that we would ever become like the people of Israel in seeing our worship as wearisome, painful, exhausting, boring, just, just beyond belief. You know, if our worship gets so bad that you're dissatisfied, don't run away trying to find the most ideal place that emotionally you can be fulfilled. Find a way in here for us to make adjustments. But make sure it's still based on biblical focus. God has got to be at the center of whatever we do. There's nothing wrong with having dancing. There's nothing wrong with having music. There's nothing wrong with having drama as ways to give praise to our Creator God. Welcome, welcome. Let us try. But let us always remember that our motivation is to give praise to Him, to serve Him, to seek His direction for our lives. Malachi tried to remind the people that worship was to be holy, not profane, not ordinary or routine. Endurance was not the goal to say, I sat through another worship time. Worship is praise, scripture, thanksgiving, song, dance, drama, symbolism, and many other things. They lived out to rule, to the rule of expectation. The priests of their day led their people to fulfill the regulations of worship. But the Spirit was not there. They also taught and modeled for the people Giving that apple with the worm is perfectly acceptable. Brothers and sisters, if you believe our church is ever giving an apple with a worm to our Father in worship, we're sinning if we don't do something about it. We have responsibility as a family to not give apples with worms. Worship is to give the very best of what we have doesn't mean it has to be perfect. It doesn't mean it's always entertaining or it's exciting. But it does have to be from the depths of our heart, from our being. The Lord asked through the prophet, when you bring injured, crippled, and diseased animals to offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them? What an insult. Then it goes on. It says, cursed is the deceiver who has in his flock an acceptable male and offers God a blemished thing, removing the blessing of God. You know, each week, we as a body of Christians gather together. Very often at the end of the service, someone will get up and we will have a prayer, praying for God's blessing on our lives. Perfectly reasonable request as we ask God to bless us and give us direction. 
The blessing is not about magic words, specific vocabulary, saying it in a certain way. But a blessing is about asking it to come from God, not from man. We don't want to be cursed. We want to receive the blessing. Asking God's blessing is a good thing. But we need to be certain that we somewhat are doing everything we can to worship correctly and that we, in a sense, have some level of deserving attitude to receive that blessing. When I look at the people of Israel, I understand their pain as they heard the message from Malachi. I understand their frustration feeling that Malachi as a prophet was, if you will, judging them a bit. But at the same time, I hope that their hearts were touched with the reality that God was still giving them some level of opportunity to change. Through Malachi's word, he challenged them and asked them and told them that he understood who they were and knew there was a need for something to be adjusted. Let us pray at this time for ourselves. Father God, we come before you recognizing that we are but sinners. Father, we recognize that we can fall into the exact same trap that the people of Israel did. We realize that if we're not careful, we will present gifts and offerings and attitudes before You in the name of worship that You know full well are inappropriate. Father, I would ask that down in our hearts, each and every week, each and every day, that we would have a spirit of humility and service that we would appreciate Your love and that we would truly be bold as we seek to grow and mature and study Your Word and be with other Christians that would help us to be the kind of salt and light in the world in which we live that would be something You would appreciate and that You would bless. Father, we thank You for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name.